You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. If you got your Bible, you got a smart device, um, why don't you turn with me to uh, or swipe with me to the Old Testament? Um, We're not going to have to go very far. We're going to be in the very first book of the Old Testament. And eventually we're going to land there in Genesis. Um, Genesis actually means beginning. And so it's um, appropriate that it's right there at the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of the Old Testament. And we are going to land um, eventually in Genesis chapter 17 together. Um, and while you're turning there, uh, Sarah and I, we had, we had a little Amazon mishap, um, this past week. Anybody Amazon users, right? Like, um, so we have, we have a dog, um, and she kind of runs our house and, uh, we have, we have her food on, um, you know, subscribe and save so that it just comes automatically. And that's great up until the point that, Something happens and Amazon messes up the order or they're unable to fulfill the order. And then it creates this big long chain of events that we, all these hoops we have to jump through, like finding it at another place. And then can we, if, 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 if we can get it from there, can we have it shipped in time? And, and, um, uh, it, you know, is, is the cost going to be different? And, and, or is there a store that has it locally? And if so, then we have to get out and we have to go all the way to the store, you know, five minutes out of our way and everything. Right. And so it just creates a big hassle. When things don't work the way that they're supposed to, like, do you guys remember ordering stuff before Amazon? You like, can you think back that far? Like, I remember as a kid, we had these things called catalogs, right? We had two primary ones in my house. I don't know what it looked like when you grew up, but in my house, we had the Sears catalog and we had the JC Penny catalog and it was essentially like a like a phone book, you know, size thing. Phone book. There's another thing we don't do anymore. It was like this big thick like thing that they would they would send you in the mail and it would just be like pictures and pages and and with all of these numbers below them of every single product that they had and and whenever you wanted to order something, you had to pick up the phone and dial an 800 number. And you had to actually talk to another human being on the other end of the phone. And you had to tell them, okay, I want item number JF4-Q, quantity one, size large. You know, you had to go through all of this and they would, they would like tally it up. And or in some cases, you would even have like this little card that you would fill out to to order. So you'd put down what you wanted and you would put it in an envelope and put it in the mail and just send it off to we don't know where it went. We don't know. But we we did know that that the guarantee was is that sometime in the next four to six weeks, it would allegedly just show up in the mail or show up at our doorstep, right? It, it was a world without tracking numbers. Like it, it would, it would take so long and we would have no idea. Like we would just, we would just, just put our trust and our hope in that envelope or in that phone call or whatever. And that, yeah, it's coming. And we just have to take their word for it. And four to six weeks would go by. 
And then one day, there it would be. It would just show up. How, how many of you ever ordered something and it took so long to get there that by the time it showed up, you forgot that you had ordered it? Yeah? You're like, oh, it's like Christmas. Like, all, I forgot that I even, that I even ordered that in the first place. But, but in this day and age, all of that has changed. For to, can you imagine? Can you imagine placing an Amazon order and it taking four to six weeks for your item to arrive? We get mad if it's not there in four to six hours. Like, you know, we are, we are chewing our fingernails to the quick. Because all of that has changed. You, you mean when, when Prime, you know, the, the, the free two-day shipping, or in some cases one-day shipping, when it doesn't work out, and, and we see it's going to take even longer, you're like, what, three, three days? Th- three whole days? Just cancel it. I might be dead by then. I mean, my, I need it now, Right? Amazon has fed nothing, nothing uh, greater than Amazon has, has fed the beast of instant gratification in our culture, quite like that Amazon Prime, right? You know, that tracking number that we get, you know, as soon as you place the order, it, it gives you, it says that it's, it's in the shipping queue, and then you get a tracking number, and that tracking number, it's a promise. It's a promise that that thing is going to show up at your house when it said it was going to show up at your house. And if it is not on time, or if something gets messed up or off track, then we get upset. We lose our minds if it doesn't come when it's supposed to. But I've discovered that God's promises are not like Amazon. God's promises don't always work that way. With, with God, uh, a lot of the time, there's no specific timeline, at least that we can decipher. With, with God, a lot of the time, there is no specific tracking number. And it's only the guarantee of his word to us. To his people. That's all that we have to hold on to. And, and for many of us, that just simply isn't enough. Because we want what we want. And like Veruca Salt, we want it now. And that's the tension. That's the tension that you and I are dealing with. And so today we're beginning a three-part series called AKA, where we'll be taking a look at a handful of the people who in, in the Bible who had their names changed by God. And as we discover the truths of God's word through the stories of each of these individuals, we'll be able to, to apply those same truths to our lives as well so that we can begin to learn to view ourselves through the lens of how God sees us and then fully embrace his plan and purpose for our lives. So for the next few minutes today, I want us to take a look at the story of a man that you may know as Abraham. But when we first meet him in the book of Genesis in chapter 12, he's going by the name Abram. And and there's four particular truths that I would like to point out from this man's story. So if you're taking notes today, I want to encourage you to write these down. Um, But first, before we get into those truths, let's catch up with Abram in Genesis 12, starting with verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, 
your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. Now, this is unique because this is really the first time in Scripture that the Lord is, is, is speaking directly to someone outside of his communication with Adam and Eve um, in, in the garden. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Lord just starts talking to Abram and he tells him that he needs him to leave his native country, his relatives, his father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him where that land is, how far away it is, when he's going to get there. Abram knows nothing. He just has this promise. God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Continuing on verse three. It says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is what God is going to do through this man, Abram. And it says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, that's important right there, that last part. He was 75 years old. I I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think, God, that's a little bit of a late start, don't you think? Like, dude, 75, like, he is about to kill over at any moment, and here, you're just now speaking to him and getting him started on his journey. And, and out of this passage, we learn that the call of God is on Abram's life, that, that God wants to bless him so that he can be a blessing. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want to bless us just so that we can be blessed. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others around us. And so it's here that we discover that God has a plan for Abram's life, even though all of the nitty gritty details have yet to be revealed. All God says is, I need you to get up And I need you to get away from where you're at because I'm going to lead you to a new place where you're going to be blessed to be a blessing to others. And then he promises that he's going to take care of him every step of the way. It's also important to note here that that Abram, when we first meet him, Abram, the name Abram means exalted father. And here at 75 years old, this exalted father has no kids of his own. And all of a sudden, when you, when you catch that, that note of, of what's going on here, you think, hmm, this is, this is pretty intriguing. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what is going to take place. But here we come across this exalted father with no kids of his own. And God says, I need you to leave everything you've ever known and go to a place that I'm going to show you because I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. And so then Abram simply steps out in obedience. Think about that. He's lived 75 years of his life. He's never heard God speak. And all of a sudden, one day, out of nowhere, this voice just communicates with him and says, I need you to leave everything you've ever known. Go to this land I'm going to show you. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing, and I'm going to take care of you. And then Abram does it. We continue on with his story, skipping down a little bit in Genesis 12, um, later on in the passage, beginning with verse 10, it says, at that time, a severe famine struck the land 
of Canaan. Now, the land of Canaan is the place that God was showing Abram where he was supposed to go. But at that time, once he got there, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner, an outsider, a place that he did not belong. And as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Now, everybody in here may not be able to say this, but I know what it's like to be married to a woman of great beauty. And so I can certainly identify with Abram right here in this passage. He, he was a worried man about the situation that he was getting into. He said, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. And then we can have her. So please tell them that you are my sister and then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. So the Lord leads Abram to Canaan, but then this famine comes on the land. And despite the fact that God has said, I'm going to take you to this place. I'm going to show you where you're supposed to go. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bless you in that place so that you can be a blessing to others. All of a sudden, Abram gets his attention, his focus off of the word of the Lord and starts paying attention to the situation that surrounds him. And so it causes him to move from the place that he's supposed to be into a place that he's not supposed to be, into a place that God didn't tell him to go. And then that creates further issues because he ends up lying to the place that he goes to as a foreigner, as an outsider. He ends up telling an untruth and gets himself into a bit of a mess. So the first thing that we learn from Abram's story is that fear and doubt always get you off track. Fear and doubt will always get you off track. See, Abram knew what God had said, and he had even been willing to take action on it. He had gotten up, he had packed his bags, he had moved out, he had gone to the place where God was showing him. But as soon as adversity struck, his faith began to dwindle, and fear took place, which which forced Abram to go to a place which he wasn't supposed to be. Fear caused Abram to doubt the word of the Lord in his life, and instead take matters into his own hands, only making the situation worse. And we will see in this story that this is a pattern that is repeated in Abram's life, that that when when things don't work out the way that he thinks they're supposed to, that he takes um, he, he takes hold of the situation and he puts his hand to it, takes matters into his own hands, and he ends up messing everything up. It's important for you and I to know right here at the very beginning that, that, that God will allow us to face some adversity in our lives so that we can learn to trust him. When God calls us to do something, when, 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 he, when he has a, a calling, a plan, a purpose for our life, it's not always going to be smooth sailing. Everything isn't going to just line up the way that we want to. Sometimes we are going to experience some difficulty. We're going to experience some adversity. And it's not because God is punishing us. God is teaching us. He's saying, you need to be able to trust me. He's, he's building that into us through his call in our lives. And it's important for us to know that that God's plan is often revealed, not in spite of, but it's revealed through our trials, our troubles, and our temptations. 
And when we experience those things, it's to develop our endurance to be able to follow after God over the long haul. So we need to know that that fear and doubt will get us off track so that we've got to stay in tune and in line with whatever God said to us first. That when the word of the Lord comes, that is the word of the Lord. And we need to be sure that we're not looking at the situation and circumstance that is in front of us, but rather that we have our eyes and our ears in tune with what the Lord is communicating to us because otherwise we're going to get off track and we're going to create a big mess continuing on in genesis 13 verses 14 through 17 after lot had gone there there comes a time where where um uh, abram's uh abram's people are butting heads with lot's people and it's time for them to part ways um, and it's so, so Lot goes one way and Abram goes the other way. And it says that after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. All right. So God is adding another piece to the puzzle right here when he shows up in Genesis 13. First, God just says, I'm going to use you to, to bless the people, uh, to bless people everywhere. I'm blessing you to be a blessing and you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now God is he's taking a next step for that promise. He says, I'm going to give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth or the sand on the seashore, they cannot be counted. He says, go and walk through the land in every direction for I am giving it to you. Then God shows up again in Genesis 15, and he doubles down on this promise. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? He's reminding God, he's saying, you told me I was going to have all these descendants, but look, here I am, 75, 80, 85, 90 years old, and you still haven't blessed me with a son. How am I going to have descendants if I don't have a child for which to, to carry out my lineage? He says, since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Continuing on in verse 4. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. The, 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 the plan, the picture starts to materialize a little bit more clearly here. He says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So first the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to use you to bless the peoples of all the earth. And then the Lord comes to him again and says, those peoples of all the earth, they are going to come through you. They are going to be your descendants. As as much as the dust of the earth that your descendants will, will not be able to be counted. And he comes back a second time and he says, as, as many as the stars in the sky, 
That's how many descendants you are going to have. And, and Warren Wearsby, a, a theologian, I love this quote from him. He says this, whether, speaking of Abram, whether he looked beneath his feet or up into the heavens or whenever anyone called him by name, Abraham was reminded of God's gracious promise to give him many descendants. Here's the problem. At this point in the story, Abram didn't have a son and it didn't seem like it was going to happen anytime soon. And as time rolled along, when Abram looked in the mirror, he didn't see himself the way that God saw him. Maybe some of you here today can identify with that. Maybe when you look into the mirror, you do not see yourself the way that God sees you. You're not looking at yourself through the lens of the potential and the promise that is on your life that is given to you by God. And, and you're defining yourself by your situation and your circumstance. Abram was defining himself. He was saying, how can this be since I have no son? That, that who he was, his, his identity was found in the fact that he was unable to produce rather than in the promise that God has for his life. And so at this point, once again, Abram takes matters into his own hands, this time in an even bigger and more dangerous way. In Genesis 16, his story continues. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. It's important to know that Egypt was the place that they got in trouble in the first place when they left where they were supposed to be and they got off track and they didn't follow through with their belief in the word of the Lord. And so here they are again going back to Egypt for answers. And every time we, we see Egypt in the Bible, it always represents sin. It always represents the people of God living outside of the boundary of God's will, plan, and purpose for their lives. And so here we see Sarai and Abram, and now they're going back to Egypt. She had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Now it's all God's fault. It's all God's fault because this promise hasn't come to fruition yet. And so we've got to do something on our own in order to make this happen. So go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. See, just a few verses ago, Abram was believing, he was agreeing with the word of the Lord. And you see how quickly it's changed because it's not happening on his timeline now. Instead of agreeing with the word of the Lord, Abram is agreeing with Sarai's proposal, which is saying, go to Egypt, go to the place that's outside of God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for your life. And then we can make something happen. So, or number one, fear and doubt will always get you off track. The, third, or the second thing that we learn from Abram's story is that God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need our help. Whatever God promises in our life, he doesn't need our help to make it come to pass. What we've got to realize is that, that when it comes to God's promises being fulfilled and coming to fruition in our life, that obedience is the difference maker. That's the thing that makes it happen. And, and obedience, the, the best way that I know how to describe it and how to define it is obedience is when our beliefs are turned into behaviors. 
See, we know because the Bible tells us that Abram believed God. But that belief fell short when things didn't happen the way that Abram thought they should. And so he started to live based on his own desires instead of the desires that God had for him. He started to live in accordance with his own plan instead of the plan that God had for him. And so I think the question that God really has for each of us here this morning is, will we choose to believe in only what we can see? Or will we steadfastly believe in the word of the Lord? What got Abram and Sarai in trouble is because they said, we've heard the word of the Lord that says we're going to be this power couple and we're going to have all these descendants and it's, we're going to have a son of our own, but we don't know what God is doing up there in the heavens, dragging his feet and taking his good old time. And so we need to, we need to step out and we need to hurry this thing along. And sometimes we can get the cart before the horse. We can get out in front of God and that's when we end up making a mistake. When we start to look at our situation and our circumstances, And that takes precedent over the word that the Lord has spoken into our heart. And so Abram's choice created a mess and it it puts something into action that you and I, our current world, thousands and thousands of years later, that we are still dealing with the ramifications of. All because of one man's decision. We see Adam and Eve in the garden because of one man's decision. We're paying the penalty of that today. Abram and Sarai choosing to father this child outside of of God's plan. This child known as Ishmael. We're paying the price and, and suffering. Our world at large is suffering the penalty of that today. And the problem is simply this. The problem is, is that we aren't willing to let God have ultimate control. It kind of makes me think of one of those goofy bumper stickers that I used to see every now and again several years ago. You know, maybe you've seen it. It says, God is my co-pilot, right? You've seen those? If God's your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. If God's your co-pilot, it's, it's, time, to, it's time to switch seats and, and, and let Carrie Underwood sing it. Jesus, take the wheel. You know what I'm saying? We got to surrender our control to him. We've got to take our hands off the wheel. We got we to trust that, that God knows where he's going and, and what he's doing. And that if we'll just let him have his way, then he'll get us to where he needs us, wants us to be. And every time that I read this story... And think through the life of Abram. I can't help but wonder how many times have I, how many times have we missed out on what God wants to do in our life simply because it didn't make any sense. Right, 75 years old, going to have a son, going to be the father of, of, of many nations. That doesn't make sense. How many times do do we miss out on what God wants to do in our life because it doesn't make sense and because we refuse to be obedient and let things just play out in God's timing? See, the blessing, as we'll soon find out for Abram and Sarai, it was right around the corner. But they had already given up hope and thrown in the towel on what God had in store for them, for his, for, for, for what, what he said was best for their life. And they'd taken matters into their own hands. 
and they messed everything up. How many times do we miss out on God's blessing because we give up too soon and we throw in the towel or because we take matters into our own hands. We grab the wheel and say, no, it should go this way. And we end up getting ourselves off track, driving into a ditch, creating a big mess. We do that often. Maybe you're in a situation like that in your own life today. Maybe you think I've gotten this thing so far off track, there's no way that I'm ever going to get it back on. But you need to know that, that with God, there's always hope and it's never too late. His story continues in Genesis 17. It says, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar. Sorry, this is the the second part. Go ahead to, to Genesis 17. Next one. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground, and then God said to him, continuing in verse 4, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And what's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. The third thing we learn from Abram's story, Abraham's story, is that we're never too far gone for God to redeem our situation. No matter how far we've gotten things off track, we are never too far gone for God to make his perfect will happen in our lives. If we'll simply be obedient to him. Think about it. 24, at this point in Genesis chapter 17, 24 very long years have passed since God called Abram. He was 75 when we started. That means that he's now 99 years of age. And by all accounts, intents, and purposes, when we read this story, we look at Abram and we said, dude, he's washed up. There's no hope for this guy. It's over for him. He missed his chance. He missed his opportunity. He kept doing things his way. He messed it up. When we see Abram at this part of the story, and I see him this way, and I, and I can't help but, but wonder if, if he saw himself this way as well. He's, he's now isolated because he's moved away from his country and his family, everything that he ever, know, that, that he ever knew. It, a lot left him. He's just out here by himself. Feels like he's been ignored. Because God's promise, the reason he's out there in the first place, it hasn't come to fruition in his life. He feels like a letdown. He's let down God. He's let down his wife. He's let down himself. And at the end of the day, he just feels like he's a failure. Because after 24 years, he has absolutely nothing to show for anything. Everything that he's done along the way has created a huge mess in the process. I've come to discover what's true in an Abram's story, what's true in a lot of the Bible character story, what's true in your story and my story is that God will often hold out till the very last moment to ensure that he gets all the glory. That's how God operates. 
Yeah, Abram was 99. Abram still had no children of his own with him and him and Sarai. He, he'd gone outside the will of God. He, he'd fathered this child, Ishmael, that was outside of God's plan for his life. But yet God comes to him and, and shows up again. And, and he says, he, he, he says that, that he is the Almighty. He declares himself as El Shaddai. He gives himself a name to Abram. He says, you can refer to me as El Shaddai. That means I, I'm God Almighty. Despite the fact of not yet proving true on his promise to Abram, he calls himself God Almighty. I'm capable of anything. And then he changes Abram's name from exalted father to father of many or father of a multitude. And, and when I read this passage at this moment, but before we know the end of the story, you're just reading this for the first time. You're like, is this some kind of sick joke? Like 24 years, God, you've done nothing. 24 years, you've just repeated yourself over and over and over of, of what you're going to do for 24 years. You know that this man has suffered. You know what he wants for his life and for his family. You know what he, he wants to do for you, but yet time and time again, it's come up empty. And now you come to him once again, and at 99 years old, you show up and you declare yourself as God Almighty, even though you've done nothing, and you change his name from exalted father to father of a multitude, that doesn't even make sense. And it's at this moment that it causes us to wonder that if, if God is so mighty and Abram is the father of a multitude, then, then why isn't Sarai pregnant yet? And the only thing that I can deduce is simply this. It's because God wasn't just promising Abram something for his life. He was promising Abram something for his legacy. See, it wasn't just about Abram. It wasn't just about him and that moment. It was about something that God was wanting to do that was going to carry on long after Abram was gone. And God repeats himself, or he, 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 gives, he gives further clarification to, um, to his covenant in, in Genesis 17 in verse 9. Can you get me there? Genesis 17, verse 9, he says this. Then God said to Abram, your responsibility, or to Abraham, your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. See, Abraham had to accept God's promise before it ever came to pass. And, and I, I want you to imagine, think of how difficult it would have been for him in this moment. He's, he's away and he, he's alone and he's had this encounter with God. He's Abram. And, and then he goes back to, to the place where, where his wife and, and, and all of their servants, their posse, their, their, their entourage and caravan. Everybody's waiting with bated breath. Abram, Abram, what, what did God say? What did God say? And he said, well, God said that, that he's the almighty and that he can do anything he wants. And they're like, and, and, and what else? And he said, well, you know, Abram, not my name anymore. Oh, what is it? 
Well, now it's, it's Abraham. I'm not just the exalted father. I'm, I'm the father of a, of a multitude. And can you imagine, like the people are saying, God's saying he's almighty. Look around, bro. You have no kids. You're 99. When is this going to happen, right? Abram had learned, Abraham had learned that his responsibility was to obey the covenant. And God's responsibility was for the outcome of the covenant. Whenever God calls us to something in our life, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's, when it's wild and crazy and outlandish, our responsibility is obedience. His responsibility is the outcome. So we need to let ourselves off the hook. We need to open our hands and take them off the wheel. And we just need to do what God has told us to do. Genesis 21. Abraham's story is, this part of it at least, is coming to a close. I love this. After all this time, he's 100. Sarah's 90. It says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. Sarah means princess. She got her name changed too. And it wasn't just a normal name change. She's just not a normal mama. She's, she's princess. She's, she's now the mother of, of a royal lineage that we know that, that one day is going to usher in the king of kings and the lord of lords. It says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time that God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac, which means laughter, because it's hilarious when a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman has a baby. <laughs> and all we can do is laugh, because God, you were right. You are the Almighty. God, you were right. You did set Abraham up to be the father of a multitude, that out of Isaac was going to come forth an entire nation that would still exist today, and that, that the seed of that nation through the person of Jesus Christ would change the world forever. The circumstances and the situation, they didn't make sense, but God did it at his time and his time alone so that he could receive all the glory from it and that no one else could take any kind of credit at all whatsoever. And the fourth thing that we learn from Abraham's story is this. There is purpose in the process. There's purpose in the process. See, often I've discovered that God doesn't just meet his promises. He far exceeds them. God promised Abraham a son, but he gave him a nation. But you'll notice that God didn't give it to him all at once. He gave it to him piece by piece, little by little, time after time, until his full plan for Abraham's life became a reality. What? Abraham saw as delay and what we see as delay in our own life is God is what God sees as development. That he's not disciplining us. He's, he's developing something in us. And every single promise of God in our lives is an opportunity to step out in faithful obedience through surrender. Every time God reveals a little bit more of his promise, it's another opportunity for us to take one more step forward in obedience, to take one more step forward in surrender to the Lord. It's letting go of our desires and choosing to simply trust and obey the word of 
the Lord. And at the end of the day, if I had to sum up Abraham's story, if I, had to, if I had to say this is what I think God is communicating, what he wants to remind us of through his story today, it's simply this. The big idea of today is that God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. If he said it, he'll do it. Even over and above. Now, it may not happen as quickly as we want it to, but it'll always happen right on time. God's promises are always worth the wait. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. He says this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. 75-year-old man. He turns into a 100-year-old man before it finally happens. On the surface, we would say that's crazy. But God, through his power at work within us, is able to accomplish infinitely more. It wasn't just a son. It was a nation. It wasn't just a life. It was a legacy. I believe that that's what God is wanting to do in and through us today. That God's promised us something and you've been trying to hold on. Maybe somewhere along the way you've you've gotten off track and, and you've tried to put your hand to it. It hasn't happened quickly enough for you. Some of you right now, you're remembering something that God said to you last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, that still hasn't happened. What's he promised you? If you don't know, have you asked him? Have you asked him, God, what's your promise for my life? And then when you receive that promise, did you go to his word and does it line up with with what it says right here? Because it's not a promise from God if it doesn't align with his word. So what's God promised you? If you don't know, maybe you should ask him, God, what's your promise for my life? And, And show it to me in your word so that I can commit it to memory, that I, can, that I can inscribe it on the tablet of my heart, that I can walk it out each and every day. What's his promise? And in that promise, are you being obedient? Is it possible that maybe you could lean into obedience a little bit more? See, those are the questions. Because I believe God's wanting to do something. He's, he's wanting to continue what he started. He's wanting to reveal his promise, his plan to someone's life and, and, and your age or your situation. What, like, that doesn't matter. He showed up to Abram for the first time when he was 75 years old. He said, you're going to be the father of many nations. It's in this moment that as I was preparing for today that I, I was just, I don't know. My grandfather was a pastor and he would often sing songs in his sermons. I'm not going to do that to you today. Because I love you too much. But I can recite the lyrics. An old song that we used to sing when I was a kid. I can remember it. I, I would be in church on a Sunday night. And I'd be on my knees, turned around in the pew with my coloring book and crayons. But just being in the, in the atmosphere, in the environment. 
Something was built into me even as a young man. The words of the song go like this. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, when a glory he sheds on our way, while we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says, we will do. Where he sins, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. You want God to do something incredible in your life? That's all you got to do to make it happen. Trust and obey. Worked out for Abraham. The same is true for us all these thousands of years later. Abraham believed the Lord and God counted it unto him as righteousness. If we'll simply trust and we'll simply obey, God will do the rest. And the first step to trust and obedience is by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and once and for all surrendering to his plan for your life. If you're here today in this place, you're watching with us online this morning and you're ready to take that step. You're ready to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and surrender your way to his way and make him Lord of your life. I wanna invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today I choose to follow Jesus and his way the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.